Coming up, we will bring you all the latest in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. I mean, this trial has been a circus from day one. The prosecution's own witnesses have done more to help the defense than to help the prosecution. The prosecution's witnesses have helped Kyle Rittenhouse, as we'll explain. A court has struck down President... This is a huge blow to Biden. Biden's vaccine mandate on businesses has been struck down by a federal court. All the details coming up. Let me mention, of course, that we are excited to be hosted by the VIN News Podcast Network. Yes, the VIN News Podcast Network. VIN News, of course, is a phenomenal, phenomenal news outlet. One of the preeminent news outlets out there, period. So it looks like nobody will be held accountable for that horrific drone strike in Afghanistan, that unspeakable tragedy, that drone strike that was supposed to be an attack on ISIS, and it turned out it killed a bunch of innocent kids. Nobody's going to be held accountable. Are we Are we surprised by this? Democrats are never held accountable. I mean, they, they could literally murder innocent people, and it was totally avoidable, totally preventable, but now it's basically official. There's been an Air Force, a military report that has been issued that's basically absolving anybody of any blame. Blame. This is outrageous. This is just it's 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 unthinkable. Uh it, this drone attack of course killed 10 innocent people including an aid worker, a bunch of children. Imagine if this were Trump. Imagine if Trump inadvertently and this thing it was so preventable. I mean they literally they just clearly were just totally they 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 just completely completely were incompetent or even worse perhaps because they were trying to distract from the total debacle in the Afghanistan pullout. But imagine if Trump had uh, carried out a drone attack, claimed, oh, we have prevented an ISIS attack, and then it turned out to be a bunch of innocent kids. Forget impeachment. I mean, Trump would have, would be brought before a firing squad. So the military has concluded. Let me give you the details here. Uh, you know, they say mistakes were made, but nobody did anything wrong. I'm sorry, if mistakes are made and like uh, a, a million dollars worth of equipment gets blown up, you know, you could tell me nobody's accountable. Mistakes are made, 10 innocent lives are taken. I mean, how dare you tell me nobody did anything wrong? So this is according to an Air Force investigation. The strike was done. Let me read you some excerpts here from the Washington Examiner, an op-ed. The strike was carried out to distract the public from the completely inc- uh, from Afghanistan. It turned out to target an innocent aid worker and nine others with no apparent terrorist ties. The drone footage shows children visible, get this, two minutes before the missile attack. So literally their drone, right, the military, they're watching drone footage in real time. Of course, Biden's the one who approved this attack, who authorized this attack, or not that Biden has any idea what what's even going on at this point. And um, two minutes, you know, two minutes is an eternity. With an attack like this, two minutes is a lifetime. If you look, they are looking at drone footage now in this report Two minutes before the attack, children are visible, and Inspector General Sami Saeed, he said, here was his excuse, he said, it was not 100% obvious that there were children there, and he said, quote, there's a quote, you have to be like, no kidding, looking for it. So this is the excuse, this is just totally unconscionable, that there are children visible in the drone footage, before they carry out this missile attack, and they, he says, you have to be like, no kidding, looking for it. So listen to the Washington Examiner. No kidding, you know, the way you might look for things around a target before launching a missile. If no, I mean, can you believe, I, I, I mean, this is the excuses, well, you have to be looking for it? What could you, what more could you be looking for in your life? You are about to target 
a bunch of people on the ground. People on the ground, you suspect that they're ISIS for some ridiculous reason because the man traveled near what was an ISIS safe house or whatever nonsense excuse. They were literally, it was a distraction. That's all it was. They were trying to have a win in Afghanistan. And what are you looking around for? You're looking around for any sort of sign of child or any innocent civilian in this footage. That's the only thing you're looking for. So here's a get back to the Washington Examiner quote. If nobody committed any criminal acts in the course of this appalling in- incident, neither acts of malicious indifference nor acts of criminal negligence, then that raises even more serious questions about the way the U.S. operates overseas. Our procedures for planning an assassination really so flimsy and the planner so careless that a completely innocent aid worker and a group of kids can get droned without anyone even having done anything wrong. Is the public really to believe that drone operators are as careless about the potential for innocent bystanders as this incident would make it appear? Innocents and children were actually murdered in what was supposed to be a careful, well-calculated retaliatory strike. As usual with Biden, it appears nobody will be held accountable, not even a little bit. That's how it works. If you are a Democrat, no worries. Kill a bunch of innocent people. Tell us we killed ISIS militants, ISIS terrorists uh, that were about to carry out an imminent attack on Americans at the airport. Oh, whoops. No, actually, it was a bunch of, of innocent children. And it was an aid worker, humanitarian aid worker. A huge blow for Biden in the courts. Obviously, this is going to be appealed. But the vaccine mandate on businesses has been struck down for now. The court says that this mandate would be extremely restrictive on businesses and possibly violate the Commerce Clause. So, they, you know, they're not really getting into as much the vaccine mandate issues in terms of the health part of it. It's more like is this – and this is what they should should be focused on, which is – does the federal government have a right to mandate vaccines? We have vaccine mandates, right? There are schools, there are businesses uh, around the country where they insist in order to be there, you have to be vaccinated. Obviously, many school districts, but those are done on a, and on a state level, but never a vaccine mandate on a federal level. That has not happened because the federal government, this is massive federal overreach. The federal government's powers over businesses are extremely limited by the Constitution. But, of course, don't tell that to the Biden administration. The mandate came from OSHA, the federal agency, Occupational Safety and Health Administration, and a three-judge panel of the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals has struck down the mandate. It is a, it is a group of Republican-appointed judges. And I know, of course, Chief Justice John Roberts tries to tell us, now nah, there's no such thing as Obama judges and Trump judges and Clinton judges. You know, they all rule with their conscience. I mean, give me a break. We know how – and I'm not – look, I, I, I'm glad that they have struck down this mandate because I believe that it's unconstitutional. But in, in, if this had been a bunch of judges appointed by Obama, I, I really highly doubt that they would have struck it down. Look, we'll have to wait and see as this goes you know, through the appeals process. One of these judges was appointed by President Reagan, believe it or not, to – were appointed by President Trump. This ruling was issued on Friday. They temporarily halted the mandate a week ago. And this was in response to lawsuits filed by businesses and legal groups, obviously a bunch of Republicans. And now they have upheld, and Biden responded, and now the court has upheld this initial ruling. The court said that the rule grossly exceeds OSHA's, OSHA's statutory authority. They said the ruling imposes a financial burden on businesses and potentially violates the Commerce Clause. Basically, you're forcing businesses – think about what you're doing here. You're forcing businesses to enforce a mandate 
which is very costly. If companies now, you know, there's so many things they have to comply with. If a company now is going to have to go and check, you know, they're going to have to have like a separate HR department almost or hire somebody just to literally be checking about vaccines. How about all the all the employees who don't want to take the vaccine? So they need to have weekly testing and then you have to go and verify it and all of that. And by the way, there's a huge fine. There's a huge financial penalty if the company uh, does violate the rule. So, you know, this could be very, very devastating to businesses. Uh, not that Democrats care about that sort of thing. And, and I would add, by the way, who says that the federal government, as I said before, even has a right? It's total government overreach here because the federal government has no jurisdiction, which is that's what the Commerce Clause part of this is about. Uh, you know, so and the other question we need to ask ourselves, and I'm just going to throw this out there when it comes to mandates like this. Once the vaccine is available to everybody, right, which it is, the vaccine even now age five and up, right? So anybody can get the vaccine, right? And people who get the vaccine, I know this have made this point. This is not my point. Uh, people who get the vaccine, for the most part, are in- extremely unlikely to get severely sick or, or hospitalized or die of COVID. People, the vaccine protects most people, at least from very, very severe cases. So people, we know about breakthrough cases, very unclear with the data, what percentage of vaccinated people uh, develop breakthrough COVID, but breakthrough COVID is mild, unless somebody like has major, major underlying conditions. So the question is, once people out there have the option of getting vaccinated, and when they're vaccinated, they're in pretty good shape, not Nothing's 100% foolproof, but once a person's vaccinated, so then what harm is it? The people who don't want to get vaccinated, who are they harming? That's what you need, really need to ask yourself. All right, so they, of course, passed this $1.1 trillion infrastructure bill. And what's very, very disturbing about this is that the Republicans are the ones who put Biden over the top. Obviously, most Republicans voted against the infrastructure package. But this $1.1 trillion infrastructure bill, Biden, it could not have passed. This is going to be Biden, his big celebration. You know, this is going to be his heroic moment. This is not going to be nearly enough in 2022 during the midterms to help the Democrats. I mean, the Democrats right now, especially after what happened in Virginia and especially how close New Jersey was and so many other local races. I mean, the Democrats are in big trouble and an infrastructure bill is is going to be very, very minimal in terms of helping Biden. But it did help Biden a lot because he's been desperate for any kind of legislative win. Well, guess what? The squad voted against it. Ocasio voted against it. Elon Omar voted against it. Taibro voted against it. And then you have 13 Republicans who put who put this infrastructure bill over the top, gave Biden a, 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 a bill, a win that he desperately, desperately needed. And now he gets to call this a bipartisan package. I mean, it really is like nauseating that this happened here. And these 13 Repu- people are furious. I mean, you have a lot of a lot of, uh, you know, Trump Republicans who are planning to run against these 13 Republicans and unseat these 13 Republicans in 2022. You know, I'm expecting like another Tea Party movement over here during the midterm elections. But um, now Biden is trying to pass. So people are furious at the, you know, the rhinos, as they call it, uh, the, who, who, who helped Biden pass this this infrastructure bill, which could not have passed if only Democrats had voted for it because they didn't have the squad and the margin is so slim in the House. Now Biden's trying to pass the Build Back, Build Back Better bill, or as I call it, the Bankrupt the Kids bill. The Build Back Better bill, which is, I don't know, two trillion, three trillion, who knows, because what they're doing is now it's just a game here where what they do is they don't actually change the spending on the bill. They shorten the different programs. So if it's the Medicaid expansion or the child care, whatever the programs are, they make them a three year plan or a five year plan instead of a 10 year plan. So that way, the overall spending on the bill looks less. It's not because you know how this works, right? After three years or five years, 
then it's set to expire, and then they say, well, you're not going to let it expire. People love their free child care. People love their free college tuition, community college. People love their free, you know, their Medicare, vision, dental, whatever expansion. So uh, it's going to expire. You wouldn't let it expire. No, so of course we're going to have to extend it. So they know that's what's going to happen. So that's all. The, it's smoke and mirrors here. They're not actually lowering the cost of the bill. But here's the thing. This bill would actually raise, this has been put out here by the Tax Foundation. The bill would raise personal income taxes beyond all human comprehension. Obviously, it's going to increase inflation by pumping trillions into the economy. It's going to raise taxes on natural gas companies. Now, who do you think that's going to hurt? Okay, they talk about how they're not raising taxes on people, on low-income earners, on middle-income earners, on on middle-class, lower-income and middle-class... Who do you think, when they raise taxes on natural gas companies, right, in this part of this Build Back Better bill, who do you think that's – you think the natural gas companies are going to say, all right, you know, we'll just take the loss ourselves or they're going to turn it over as they always do to the consumer and we're all going to end up spending more or half the country who has his natural gas, including me, are going to end up spending more uh, on natural gas. So that's going to get turned right over to us. So they don't call it a tax on the lower and middle class, but that's exactly what it is. Meanwhile, according to the Tax Foundation, uh, the average top tax rate on personal income tax in the U.S. is going to be the highest level in the developed world. So think about this. Biden keeps telling us that they're only raising taxes on people who earn more than $400,000 a year. So, well, uh, well, believe it or not, that th- th- this is going to make the wealthy pay, I mean, a- an astronomical portion of their income in taxes, the, the average top tax rate on personal income, this is going to boost it to 57.4%. So that's the highest in the 38-member Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. That's according to an analysis from the Tax Foundation. Right now, the top tax rate in the U.S. is 42.9%, which is right in the middle compared to those other countries. This is going to raise it to 57.4%. It will be the highest, the highest top tax rate in the developed world. All right, let's get to the Kyle Rittenhouse trial. This entire trial is a travesty. And by the way, the mainstream media is not reporting all the bomb. There are so many bombshells in this trial. I mean, the, there are so many witnesses, not just for the defense, but for the prosecution who have made it very clear. Kyle Rittenhouse, and we brought you this story last year, and we told you when this happened, right after this happened, we told you all the details appeared. Kyle Rittenhouse shot the people he shot in self-defense. This was in Kenosha, Wisconsin, of course. And uh, now you have even witnesses. The prosecution was so sloppy. I mean, this is a disaster. I'll read you some of these details. Just a circus. There's never the only reason it was brought to trial is because this man is 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 a right wing leaning person who had an AR-15 rifle who was at a BLM protest or at a protest for, of course, Jacob Blake in Kenosha. So, by the way, he shot whites. He shot white. He didn't shoot blacks. He shot whites. Biden called him a white supremacist, which is disgraceful. But he didn't even shoot black people. He shot white people. But it doesn't matter if you're on the right, and you shoot people at a protest for the people on the left, it's going to be prosecuted. It doesn't matter if all the evidence points to your innocence. So this whole thing has just been an absolute travesty. Guy Rittenhouse, of course, is the man, who, young man, very young. He was 17 at the time, killed two people in Kenosha, wounded a third during the Jacob Blake riots last year. And it's so clear that it was self-defense. So Jonathan Turley is a legal expert, and he wrote a piece in USA Today discussing how the prosecution from the get-go totally blew this case right out of the gate, and it only got worse. So let me read you here some excerpts from Jonathan Turley in USA Today. Quote, the prosecution stumbled. And by the way, let me tell you where we're holding here. Um, they have the, the defense has rested its case, and they're going to go to closing arguments on Monday. 
and people are worried about riots. There are going to be riots. They're sending in the National Guard. But I want to point out, and, and I'm going to read this more carefully in a moment, the, the, the media is doing a major disservice. Mainstream media, of course, has not reported on this case accurately at all. They have not reported how bad a case the prosecution has made, how ugly, and how the prosecution witnesses have actually helped Kyle Rittenhouse by proving that it's self-defense. So the media is making it sound as though there's a chance that Rittenhouse actually could be found guilty. There's no chance. Rittenhouse is going to be acquitted, uh, at least on any major count, and that that could lead to riots, and the mainstream media is doing a major disservice because people are actually expecting a possible guilty verdict. If if the mainstream media would tell it like it is and actually report the facts, make people aware that there's no chance here, there's no question, there's no debate, it's obvious he's innocent, it's obvious he acted in self-defense, that would at least brace the, the masses so hopefully they won't be as shocked. But because the media is doing, you know, totally distorting this case, that's actually setting up the potential for even deadlier or more dangerous riots. So let me read you here. The prosecution stumbled out of the gate. In this trial, Gage Grosskreutz was the third person to be shot by Rittenhouse. He survived. Grosskreutz admitted under cross-exam that Rittenhouse did not shoot him when he had his hands up after their confrontation. And by the way, let me interject here. You know, a lot of this is on video, and the video clearly shows that that Rittenhouse is acting in self-defense. But let me get back to this Turley piece. Quote, he admitted that it was only after he pointed his handgun at Rittenhouse and moved toward him that Rittenhouse fired. So again, just to reiterate, under oath, uh, during cross-exam, the, the victim who was who survived, he admitted that he was pointing his gun at Rittenhouse. He was shot after he pointed his gun at Rittenhouse. Back to Turley, quote, Likewise, a prosecution witness, Ryan Balch, testified that one of the other people shot, Joseph Rosenbaum, said he intended to kill Kyle Rittenhouse. Other witnesses described Rosenbaum as belligerent or hyper-aggressive. The prosecution's own medical expert, Dr. Doug Kelly, appeared to confirm that the forensic evidence of soot injuries on Rosenbaum's hand could be consistent with Rosenbaum trying to grab the barrel of Rittenhouse's rifle when the gun was fired. It got worse from there, including a glaring constitutional violation by the prosecutors when uh, he began his cross-examination of Rittenhouse by commenting on his decision to remain silent. So I'm going to interject here. Let me explain. When the prosecutor, this man Binger, when he started uh, cross-examining Kyle Rittenhouse, he said, well, you've been silent up until now. You haven't said a word up until now. What he was implying to the jury was he was implying, well, you've been silent up until now because you wanted to wait and see because you wanted to weave your story around what the witnesses, the prosecutor's witnesses uh, testify against you. That was the implication was like well, you haven't said anything now because you want to fit your story into the mold. You, you, you're going to lie. You, that, that's the implication. You're going to lie. You're going to fit your story into the mold of what was told here by the prosecution, by our narrative. So that's why you've been silent until now. Otherwise, you should have spoken up. Now, this is totally unconstitutional because everyone knows the Miranda rights. You have a right to remain silent. Criminals are encouraged by their lawyers to remain silent, remain silent because they don't want to say something that could be self-incriminating. And, and, and it's illegal. It's actually a total violation of the rules for the lawyer, for the prosecutor to hint to the jury, oh, he was silent and that somehow is incriminating the fact that he was silent. So the judge, back to Turley, the judge tore into the prosecutor. Any first-year law student knows you cannot comment on the silence of a Mirandized defendant after an arrest under the Fifth Amendment, let alone ignore a court order if you followed the case from national media. So, in other words, there was a court order that this lawyer was not allowed to make this comment, but he made this comment, and the judge got furious at him. Back to Turley, if you follow this case from the national media, you probably missed all of that. You would know about Judge Bruce Schroeder's ringtone and about his dad joke about supply chains, 
but not about how prosecutors inadvertently established the necessary elements of self-defense from their own witnesses. End quote. And Turley also pointed out, as I said, that the media is doing a major disservice to Kenosha because the public is now going to be even more shocked uh, when this case ends in an acquittal. Like I said, a white person shot BLM protesters. They were white protesters. Again, it was a, it was in response to Jacob Blake. Jacob Blake was the man. By the way, Jacob Blake, the guy was an animal. He was a monster. I mean, he was he he still is because they shot him. He was paralyzed from the waist down. He survived the shooting, but the police shot him. I mean, he was like attacking a lady, somebody that he knew in a domestic disturbance, and he was being. I mean, he was impossible to control. So, you know, they had every the, the, the police had every right to shoot him. But of course, that's what the Kenosha riots were all about. And as I said, the, the, this never, ever should have gone to trial. It was all political. This had nothing to do with the law, nothing to do with justice. It was all political. Do you know, President Biden, as I said, last year as a candidate, Biden called Rittenhouse a white supremacist. And now Kyle Rittenhouse's own mother says she was outraged. She appeared on Hannity on Fox News in an interview on Thursday, and she blasted Biden for calling her son a white supremacist. Quote, she said, when I saw that, I was shocked. I was angry. President Biden doesn't know my son whatsoever. He's not a white supremacist. He's not a a racist. Biden did that for the votes. I was so angry for a while at what he did to my son. He defamed him. That's what Mrs. Rittenhouse said, Kyle's mother. And I mean, it's like he killed white people and he shot white people. It's totally outrageous. All right, we have bombshell new details regarding that NSBA letter. Remember that NSBA letter that called parents who threatened school boards domestic terrorists. So emails have been obtained, and Fox News got a hold of them. The NSBA, the National School Board Association, actually, according to these emails, coordinated for weeks with the White House before they sent a letter to Biden. That letter called parents who who threatened school boards domestic terrorists. The letter was sent. Here's what's interesting. The letter was sent to to Biden on September 29th and then five again by the NSBA referring talking about threats against school boards because a lot of parents are so outraged, as we learned in Virginia. And um, they called parents who threatened schools domestic terrorists. Do you know that five days after the letter was sent, A.G. Merrick Garland sent out a memo uh, that was widespread telling the FBI to crack down on parents who threaten violence against school boards. So this whole thing was coordinated. This is really a bombshell between the White House and the DOJ, who colluded with the school boards to target parents. These parents, by the way, they just want to protect their children from these evil, vicious school boards and teachers' unions. So this is according to an email from NSBA President Viola Viola Garcia, quote, in response to the letter sent by the NSBA on October 4th, the Attorney General announced in a memo widely shared throughout the DOJ that he was ordering all U.S. attorneys' offices and local FBI offices to reach out to local and state law enforcement officials to coordinate efforts within 30 days of the memorandum. So essentially, I mean, this really was a conspiracy where the NSBA sent a letter to Biden saying, there are parents, these parents are angry, we need to do something, they're domestic terrorists. And then five days later, coincidentally, obviously not, based on this uh, email from the NSBA president, uh, A.G. Garland instructed law enforcement officials, you need to watch out for these parents, these parents are threatening. So they targeted, you literally have the Democrats targeting parents who just care about their children's education. The Biden administration wants to reopen a a U.S. consulate to the Palestinian Authority. But here's the thing. This is so outrageous because this consulate 
is in Jerusalem. This Trump closed this consulate. The, the U.S. had a consulate to the Palestinians. Now, wouldn't you think the the the, the con, U.S. consulate to the Palestinians would be in Ramallah, which is their capital? But no, it's in Jerusalem. And what kind of a political statement does that make? So having a consulate to the Palestinians in Jerusalem is a huge slap in the face. That's why Trump, of course, shut it down. Meanwhile, uh, the uh, uh, the Israeli people and the Israeli government is very, very dead set against this idea. But Biden is floating this idea of reopening this consulate. And think about what that would do. That would prop up the terrorists, the Palestinian Authority, which is a group of terrorists. So you have Naftali Bennett, Yair Lapid, staunchly opposed to this. Bennett said, quote, there is no place for an American consulate that serves the Palestinians in Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem is the capital of Israel alone. Lapid said, quote, if the Americans want to open a consulate in Ramallah, we have no problem with that, but sovereignty in Jerusalem belongs to one country, Israel. And a group of Republicans, 200 congressmen, 200 House Republicans, sent a letter to Biden last week urging him not to reopen the consulate in Jerusalem. Here's a quote from the letter. Quote, we write today to express our strong opposition to your administration's proposal to reopen the U.S. consulate in Israel's eternal capital, Jerusalem, that would provide separate diplomatic outreach to the Palestinians. Uh, they said reopening the consulate would be inconsistent with the Jerusalem Embassy Act of 1995. Uh, if the administration would move ahead, it would create a misguided situation in which the U.S. would essentially have two separate diplomatic missions in Israel's capital, including the U.S. Embassy to Israel, along with the Consulate General for outreach to the Palestinians, which government is ba- whose government is based in Ramallah. The Trump administration fixed this ill-advised situation but maintained outreach to the Palestinians by establishing the Palestinian Affairs Unit within the U.S. Embassy in Jerusalem. And by the way, interesting, even the Washington Post, this shows you how far Trump moved the needle uh, on Israel, on the Palestinians, and, and really just totally shut down the Palestinians as they deserved because they're worthless, they are, they are terrorists, they don't have any sort of organization, they're not a country, they're only, it's only through the good graces of Israel that the Palestinians can even function at all because they take all the hundreds of millions of dollars that they're given as foreign aid, much of which used to come from the United States and Biden is reinstating, and they literally, they they, they use it to pay terrorists and the terrorist families, and they use it to to, to fund their corrupt government. I mean, they're they're evil. So the Washington Post, in an op-ed, wrote an op-ed entitled, quote, East Jerusalem Consulate is a fight Biden does not need. So even the Washington Post put out an op-ed, essentially, and essentially they're saying that the Israelis will never support this, and that even Democrats claim to be pro-Israel. So even the Washington Post, essentially, obviously they're not going to be as strong about it as we are, but even they are saying, listen, this does not make sense. Why are you doing this? Why would you put, you know, why why would you rock the boat? You know, right now, uh, things have actually been much more stabilized, thanks to Trump, and you're going to go and prop up the Palestinians. That's essentially the point that they're making. Do you know that the U.S. Embassy in Yemen was broken into by Houthi rebels, by the Iranian-backed Houthi rebels. Now, the U.S. Embassy in Yemen has been shut down in the sense that the facility is there. There are no Americans there. But they actually broke in and stole our equipment. So we have yet another provocation by Iran against Biden. And they also took embassy workers hostage, by by the way. So there are no Americans there. But Yemeni workers who, who apparently still work in the American embassy in that building have been taken hostage by Houthi rebels. So once again, they know, they sniff out Biden's weakness. They know how weak Biden is. And the Iranians, they're trying to provoke and intimidate Biden. And unfortunately, it works. They know it works. The State Department is trying to secure the release of several kidnapped hostages. Um, 
the terrorists stormed the U.S. Embassy facility in uh, in Yemen, a group, of, a group of Houthi rebels stormed the compound on Wednesday looking for large quantities of equipment and materials. The raid came five days after the Houthi rebels kidnapped Yemeni nationals who work for the U.S. Embassy. So uh, the media is not focused on this at all, but this is actually a very big story. A State Department spokesman said, quote, the U.S. has been unceasing in its diplomatic efforts to secure their release. The majority of the detained have been released, but the Houthis continue to detain additional Yemeni employees of the embassy. So you literally have people, and you're seeing this in Afghanistan, all around the world, people who help Americans are being targeted and attacked by, by, by these Islamic terrorists. Now, what do you think that's going to do? When, 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 when the United States is looking for people to assist in foreign countries, those people are going to know that the U.S. does not have their bank, that the U.S. is going to hang them out to dry, like we're seeing in Afghanistan. You have people who help the United States, uh, forgetting that poor aid worker who was actually killed by us, by the U.S., by Biden, but you have people who help the United States who are now being hunted down by ISIS terrorists, by the Taliban themselves. So what kind of message does it send? That the United States is weak and pathetic, and if you help the United States, you're going to be targeted by locals, local extremists. All right, do you know the Supreme Court may strike down a tough gun law in New York City? This could be a, a, a huge win for gun rights, for gun owners and gun rights activists, and a huge, huge loss, a devastating loss um, to the, you know, the, the people who want to restrict guns and the people who want to restrict our Second Amendment rights and the Democrats. And this, this could – it's, a, it's the, 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 the lawsuit involves the New York City gun law, which is a very, very tough restrictive gun law, but it could impact really cities and states – around the country because this law severely infringes on Second Amendment rights and the Supreme Court justices appear to believe that it's unconstitutional. This law essentially bans almost everybody from obtaining a concealed carry permit uh, in New York City. And, uh, of course, this uh, case was brought before the Supreme Court. There were arguments a few days ago, and the Supreme Court in the next few months is going to decide on this case. But from the arguments, a lot of times you can tell these justices signal, and obviously not the liberal justices, but it's five to four or six to three, depending on how you look at it. So the conservative justices, who are the majority, signaled that they want to strike down this law. So let me read you, according to something called SCOTUS blog, the Supreme Court of the United States blog, Quote, the New York law at the center of this case requires anyone who wants a license to carry a concealed handgun outside the home to show proper cause. Courts in New York have defined proper cause to require applicants to show a special need to defend themselves. For instance, a person who has been the target of recurrent physical threats likely would qualify, but a general desire to protect oneself is not enough to obtain an unrestricted license to carry a concealed handgun. So the justices appeared sympathetic to gun owners and to Second Amendment uh, supporters. Here's here's an excerpt from the Washington Examiner. Quote: Essentially, they allow government officials talking about this law. The allow, the law allows government officials to decide who really needs to be able to exercise their Second Amendment rights. Even living in a high crime area does not suffice in New York. Many who pass a background check and simply wish to exercise their rights are not fully allowed to do so merely because some government bureaucrat says so, to state the obvious, that's not how constitutional rights are supposed to work. We would never accept a regime that required arbitrary government permission to exercise free speech, for example. In an interesting twist, a coalition of black attorneys filed a brief in this case, arguing that the New York law leads to minorities being unfairly punished for peacefully exercising their Second Amendment rights. 
Here was a brief, an excerpt from a brief written by black attorneys, quote, the Second Amendment affords the people the right to keep and bear arms. New York's licensing regime does the opposite. It deprives any, everyone of that right, only returning it to those select few who managed to first secure a firearm license from the police. As a result, each year we represent hundreds of indigent people whom New York criminally charges for exercising their right to keep and bear arms. For our clients, New York's licensing regime renders the Second Amendment a legal fiction. Worse, virtually all of our clients whom New York prosecutes for exercising their Second Amendment right are black or Hispanic, and that is no accident. And finally, I have to mention, we told you earlier about the court striking down the vaccine mandate, the Biden vaccine mandate, obviously that's going to be appealed, but for now, they have issued a stay. So for now, you know, they have actually rendered the mandate illegal. Well, the White House still encouraged businesses to, 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 to impose the mandate and ignore the court order. The White House literally encouraged businesses to ignore the court order. Imagine if Trump did that. White House Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre said that the message to businesses from the Biden administration is do not wait to implement the measure despite the federal court um, striking it down or at least issuing a stay. So literally, the, the, as I said, the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals granted an emergency stay and a reporter and and the white house message was clear was you should carry out this mandate and ignore the court order basically telling businesses to break the law a reporter asked this white house deputy press secretary cuz Jen Psaki was out with covid uh asked quote uh what do you say to a business owner that sees the headlines that the rule has been stayed should they prepare their employees to get vaccinated should they wait while this law plays out and jean pierre said quote we think people should not wait. We say do not wait to take actions that will keep your workplace safe. It is important and critical to do, and waiting to get more people vaccinated will lead to more outbreaks and sickness. So essentially, what do you say? The court just struck down this mandate. Should businesses follow the mandate? Don't wait. You should follow the mandate because it's a safe thing to do. Right? Follow the science. Follow the science. Don't bother following the law. Ignore, ignore the ruling of a federal court. I mean, imagine if Trump told businesses that. I mean, it would be plastered across – Every front page, New York Times, Washington Post, etc. But when, when Biden's press secretary says it, well, that's just business as usual. All right, that's going to do it for today, and we will see you next time.